0: I am loving the fellowship I am seeing today at LifeHouse. We couldn't hardly start because y'all wouldn't stop talking. And I'm about to put my Bible up and go home because y'all just going on with it. And I'm okay with that. And after I preach a sermon, you might have been okay with it too. Who knows? You know, when I became a Christian, it was right before uh, my 10th grade year school was about to start. And... Um, I I got saved and I immediately became a legalist. Like, <laughs> what, did you, what did you say? Oh, <laughs> I uh, like I wasn't really a legalist to myself, but I was a legalist towards everybody else. And that's how ninety nine point nine 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 percent of legalists are just for the record. Uh, they 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 have the spiritual gift of blindness to themselves. Uh, but I, and that was me, though. That was totally me. And. And I, um, I, I go back to school my 10th grade year of, of, of high school, and my best friend and him and his wife watch online. So, Jonathan, I've even given you a shout-out before. Jonathan Leslie, if you're watching, uh, let us know. And if, if you watch later, pretend like you watched now and, and let us know. And if you don't watch, then whatever. I don't care. Somebody get on there and pretend to be Jonathan. And um, he, uh, he Jonathan, uh, I get back to school, and like I start like telling Jonathan, who is a Christian, like, how terrible he is. And like, I would take my Bible, like, he was my best friend, and I would take my Bible, and he would, like, say something. I'd be like, the word says. And the truth, though, is, like, I didn't live it myself. Like, I was, I was, I was you know, uh, the, the saints in the church that I became a Christian in, they would testify a lot of times on Sunday nights. And it always started with, I've been I, I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost for X number of years. And I was saved, but I was a long way from sanctified. And I believe it is a work in progress, and I am very much still a person in progress. If anybody else is, can you shout for me and let me know? For those of you you being quiet, I'm going to pray that the Lord will forgive you for your deception to yourself. And, um, and, and, And so me and Jonathan would have this conversation about salvation, and he believed that that once you are saved, and you guys will recognize some of this terminology, don't get too carried away with it. He would say, no, once you get saved, you're saved no matter what you do, right? That's what he would say. That's what, that's what he believed in. And I'm not here to talk about any of this theology today, so don't get excited or don't get frustrated because it ain't happening today. If you want that kind of stuff, you need to come to a small group where we can actually have a conversation, okay? Um, and so and I would be like, no, bro, no man, you driving down the road and you see an eighteen wheeler coming and you say a cuss word, nothing hits you, and kills you, you're going straight to hell. I don't care how many people you've brought to Christ. I don't care how many times you've read the Bible, you say one bad thing, you do one bad thing, and then you die, you better you better say hello to Lucifer, because that's gonna be your buddy. And, 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 and he would be like, no, man, that's not how it works. And I'd be like, well, have you read the... the, the and, and, and we had lots of fun, fun, fun conversations. Jonathan, you'd be glad to know if you're watching, I have been redeemed from my former legalist ways. And I believe the grace of God is much stronger than I used to believe the grace of God is. I believe it is much more powerful than I used to believe the grace of God uh, was. And 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 somebody said, "Well, do you believe once saved are always saved, or do you believe in <laughs> this? Is, this is how we word it: Do you believe in eternal security or eternal insecurity? Like, and and I'm I'm n- 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 just none <laughs> none of the above. None of the above. I think I think we try to apply terms and definitions and understandings to things in the word. To things in the word, and what we do is we 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 try to put God in some sort of a box that we can explain and understand." And I, um, you know, I, I was a Calvinist. If you don't know what that is, you're, you're welcome. Just don't worry about it. I was a Calvinist for about five months in college uh, because I was studying it. And, and, then, and then I became an Arminian uh, after that. And, and somebody says, well, what do you believe now? And I'm, I, just, I, just, I just believe in Jesus. We're good. We're good. I can defend either position, but I think they're both wrong to some extent. Anyway, who's ready to get into the word today? All right. Well, Jesus, we need to pray again. Somebody needs to. Y'all didn't pray for me, did you? You were praying for yourself during that prayer earlier. I can feel that. The Bible says that the word became flesh. This is John 1:14, and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this verse is explaining to us the incarnation of of Jesus or when Jesus became a person but what it also does for us is it presents a model of incarnational ministry for the church because and we're going to talk about this I'm going to repeat myself just get used to that if you've been coming to church more than one week you already know that I do that sort of thing but I felt that I felt that in my soul Um, a little reverberation there um, this this verse also serves as a model for us to understand what it means to be the body of Christ. So. So understand the parallel between Jesus becoming human and then Jesus commissioning his church to be his body or his, his ambassadors on earth. So we can take John one fourteen and use it, if you will, as a model to understand how we are to be the, the incarnation of the love of Jesus and the will of Jesus on earth and so, so what I love about this, and, and, and a little bit of theology today, not a lot, and, and I've probably already confused you more than helped you up to this point. Hopefully, hence on, henceforth onward, I will do the opposite. But Jesus, and we find this out and we really understand this from, from John and then the epistles better than anybody, that he became fully human and he was already fully divine. Now, what a lot of people try to do is to to say that Jesus was a little bit God and a little bit human. But that is completely and totally incorrect. Jesus was was fully God and Jesus was, at the same time, fully human. And what is so cool about the fact that Jesus chose to put on flesh, come to earth, and live as a human among the ones that he created is that he exemplified for us what it looks like. For a person, not, not not the divine son of God, but for a man, for a human being to live on God to live I mean excuse me, to live on earth fully dependent on God. So when Jesus healed blind eyes, you might think, oh, that's easy for Jesus to do that. He's the Son of God. But what you're missing out on is that Jesus did not heal blind eyes as the Son of God. Jesus healed, blind, Jesus healed blinded eyes by being a man who was fully dependent and fully filled with the presence of God, which is available just as much to him as it is to us today. That's, you know, when we talk about being like Christ it is the Holy Spirit that lives in us that enables us to be like Christ. It's not through a, an act of your will or your effort. It's not it's not you trying hard enough or, you know, trying to practice certain spiritual disciplines enough to become like, that way. It is it is it is a process and it is it's it's a process that however old you are, Pastor Wiseman turned 90 years old here recently. And I, I know from talking to him, he is still in the middle of that process of becoming the man that God made him to be. And then one day, right, one day we will see Jesus face to face. We will see him as he is. And then we will become as we were made to be completely, totally and fully. But until that day, I am still a person in process. And I have good news for you. That's okay. Okay. That is okay. Jesus came to this world, and he lived among us. He moved into the neighborhood. Eugene Peterson would say. And 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 what's interesting and something that we need to glean from in this moment is the only way you can truly change something is if you become part of that thing that you're trying to change. For the last 100 years, uh, the church tried to do the opposite. It tried to change the world by separating itself from the world and then dictating to the world how the world was doing things wrong and how they could do them better. Now, you might think, oh, that sounds like a good thing. Well, you see, we have been called to live in the world, but we've been called to do so with the understanding that we are not of the world, you see, I can't change the thing if I'm not a part of the thing. I also can't change the thing if I become just like the thing I'm trying to change and allow the thing to change me. I have to go into the situation knowing that I have been placed into this world as a part of the body of Christ, the the incarnation, incarnational ministry, part of the body of Christ, but I'm not of this world, so I... You know, we we pray it, right? We pray it when we pray the Lord's Prayer. That His kingdom would come, that His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. To make this world look more like heaven. And if you are still breathing today, and you name Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you don't, I hope you will before you leave this property today. You have one mission in life. You have one purpose in life. Everything else is a detail that helps you fulfill that purpose. And your one purpose in life is to further the reign of the king. You say, well, I got kids to raise. You raise them with the perspective of, I am raising little humans, right, to be commissioned by the king that I am under the authority of to go out into the world and make a difference in the world. And I know people are like, oh, don't you hate bringing kids into this world today? I love bringing kids into this world today. I don't, I don't have time for that nonsense, nonsensical garbage of, oh, I just, I'm just so worried about you know, this world today. I'm telling you, I want the world to be worried about my kids, y'all. I want my kids to go out into this world and make a difference for this world, to be world changers in this world, to point this world to, to, to Jesus who wants to change this world. I need some better amens than that. Y'all, I, we're not playing patty cake today. We came to have church today. We weren't born again to live in isolation though. We were born again. And this sounds like almost like a bad way to say it, but it's true. We were born again to be an infiltration into this world. And Jesus did not hide who he was from the world. And we have been called, if you go read Matthew chapter 5, specifically verse, verses like 14 through 16, we have been called to be the light of the world, to, or the salt of the earth, shining bright for the world to see. Jesus said, let your light shine so that people will see your good works. Or let me, let me word it in a way that might make a little more sense to you. Shine brightly into this world so people will see your transformed life, and as they see your life, that will bring glory to your Father. So the question is, how do, we, how, do, how do people bring glory to the Father? People bring glory to the Father by making Him Lord of their life. So, when, so what Jesus is saying, he said, he's saying, be like me. He, he was the word made flesh. He came into the world. The world saw his glory. So in Matthew 5, 16, he's saying, be the light of the world so that people would see your light, see your good work, see your changed life. And because they see something in you, they're going to say, they're going to think in some capacity. It, it, he didn't even say, go out and evangelize. Go out and thump your Bible and tell them how bad they are. Tell them how wrong they are. He said, no, go be an example of what a life fully devoted to me looks like and then you wouldn't be able to beat them off with a stick because they're going to come running to your doorstep asking you how do you have peace in the middle of this situation how do you maintain this level of joy with everything going on in this world around you how, do, how when all the things in your life have happened how are you still the way you are what is it you have and Jesus says your good works your light, your life will point them to the father and your father will be glorified because of it because they'll see something in you and then they'll want it for themselves. Oh, man, I'm preaching better than you're shouting. <laughs> Just as Jesus was both fully God and fully human, he was also full, not partially of each, but full of grace. And truth. And for too long, the church has preached a false gospel that has said that grace and truth are mutually exclusive, denying the fact that Jesus himself was full of both. You cannot have one. You, you cannot, if you want to be faithful to the scriptures, if you want to be faithful to Jesus, and if you really want to be a person whose life has been changed, as well as be a person enabled and empowered to be an agent of life change into the lives of others, you cannot pick grace or truth. You cannot have more than one of the other. You have to be full of both. If you go and you read in the Greek the word grace is charis, where we get our word like charity from, and it means kindness and favor towards someone. The word truth is, is the Greek word aletheia. And that, and I love this, you, write this one down. I mean, even if you don't write stuff down, like just do, do it anyway. Like Even if you're going to throw the piece of paper away and, and Julie has to throw it away later this week, <laughs> write it down. The word truth there is a very specific word for truth. It means an eternal reality not limited by historical fact. An eternal reality not limited by historical fact. Now, We've been talking about the church. We've been talking about the church to find, and, and that's been a few weeks ago now. So let me catch you up to speed real quick, fast, in a hurry. So 50 days after the resurrection, does anybody remember what happened that day? The day of Pentecost. I need you to start talking to me with a little more confidence, okay? <laughs> I would rather you be wrong but, but, but believe you were right <laughs> than be right and think you might be wrong. Come on, somebody. After 50 days of the resurrection, the church is born on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. How many people were saved that day? Anybody remember? 3,000 people. This is the youth pastor coming out of me, and we have to talk to each other. I got, teenage, I got to keep teenagers awake. I'm talking to you, Eli. I love you, buddy. <laughs> His mom slaps him in the back of the head. <laughs> Sit up, boy. You getting called out in church. <laughs> Bless them, Lord. I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to, I didn't know it was going to go that far. I feel bad now <laughs> three thousand people are saved on the day of Pentecost. Just a few days later, really, the church grows to five thousand people and and, 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 and what 's interesting is it this happens in the middle of a culture of intense persecution towards these christians and so you ask how, how can the church experience such explosive growth in such a short amount of time despite everything being said against it. It is because nobody identified as a Christian, right? Nobody nobody just wore the t-shirt but didn't live the life and walk the walk and talk the talk. And if you were going to claim to be a believer, you had to be a real believer. And I have some good news but tough news for you to hear. There is no such thing as a true follower of Christ who does not make more followers of Christ. As many of us today need to ask ourselves, when is the last time I shared my faith? When is the last time I led somebody to the Lord? And, and it might have been a long time. It could even have been never. And the temptation might occur to you to start beating yourself up over it. And let me just tell you that guilt is straight from hell. That is not from God. So don't feel guilty, but be challenged and do something about it. Amen? Amen. That's how the church grew, the way it grew. You've got, you've got men like Stephen who, we, we, we talk about Stephen like he was some great Just man of God, and and he was, but remember, Stephen's main job was to just hand out, he was a a waiter. Which just is amazing, because it doesn't matter what your occupation is. It doesn't matter what your level of education is. It's, It's irrelevant in terms of how much can God use you. I don't care what your job is. I don't care how much money is in your bank account. I don't care what kind of clothes you wear, I don't care what kind of job you have. It doesn't, it's irrelevant. What what is relevant is are you surrendered to the Lord? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? And Stephen was, and he became the first person to give his life up for God, for Christ. And what's beautiful, so beautiful about Stephen's story, it's a very small, it's a very small thing that you have to see as the first Christian martyr. And, and, and every time we talk about Jesus in the New Testament being at the right hand of the Father, the Bible says that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Except, I believe it's in Acts chapter 7. I don't remember. Don't hold me to that. Where Stephen is being martyred, where he is being stoned for his faith. The Bible says Stephen looked up to heaven and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father as if Jesus was standing, giving him a standing ovation, saying, That's my boy right there. That's my man. That's my boy. We have people like Stephen giving up their life for Jesus. We have men like Paul who are giving up their life for Jesus in a very different way. He's not giving up his life to die for Jesus. He will eventually. But at this point in the story, he is giving up his life to live for Jesus and to not live for Paul. and. We make a big deal about it. Let me explain something. This is just extra you know, information for you. you know, we, talk, we talk about how God changed Paul's name from Saul to Paul, and, and maybe he did, but just just FYI, if you're ever in, you know, on Jeopardy and there's Bible trivia about this, that's not what happened. That's not, there's, there's no explanation as to why uh, Saul started going by Paul, except for the fact that Paul is the Greek name for Saul, which is a Hebrew name. And Paul was sent by God to be an apostle to the Gentiles there you go there you go what is apostle to the gentiles <laughs> for years i'm sorry listen you don't have to live in my brain i do okay i don't nobody prayed for me this morning i can tell <laughs> bless him, lord amen I'm sorry, I have fun, even if it's by myself, though, and sometimes I just make you have it with me. So the church just continued to grow, continued to multiply, continued to expand, both in the amount of people that were part of the church as well as the amount of territory the church covered. You can read about how Paul wanted to go towards Asia, but the Holy Spirit closed the door for him to go to Asia, and instead the Holy Spirit sent him west, which led him into Europe, uh, to where he began to spread the gospel. Twenty years after the church is born on the day of Pentecost, though, there is a very significant problem that arises. It was not the first problem, because once again, the church is made of people, and people are not perfect. Jesus is perfect. People are not perfect. perfect. And if you are a part of any church that's bigger than, than just you, there will be some problems that arise because of the imperfections of people. So about 20 years there's a very significant problem and, and the question was this because now paul had been preaching to the gentiles and if you don't know what gentiles mean that just means non-jewish people typically in the in the biblical context it means greek people but but re- in reality the way they are applying it it just means anybody who is not A Jew, a cultural Jew. Does that make sense? Just give me some nods. Okay. And so Paul has been preaching to the Gentiles, right? To the point where now the Gentile Christians are starting to outnumber the Jewish Christians. In fact, I don't know for sure, but I would say it would be a safe assumption to believe that the Gentile believers far outnumbered the Jewish believers. And so here was the question that came up. How good does a person have to be to be a Christian? But really the question was this. How Jewish does a person have to be to be a Christian? Does that make sense? Uh, so so what, what they were starting to try to promote, the Jewish believers, was that before you could even decide to be a Christian, you had to first become a Jew. You had to you know, ascribe to the, to the law of Moses. You had to, you had to do all the things that, that Jewish people did. And they believed that since Jesus was a Jewish man and that Jesus had fulfilled the Jewish prophecies. If you, just another fun fact. Everybody like fun facts? I love fun facts. If you want to learn more and more about Jewish uh, prophecies and how Jesus fulfilled them, go read the Gospel of Matthew, which was written specifically for a Jewish audience, which is why the Gospels are all different. It's because they were written not just by different people, but for different people. There you go. That's fun, right? It is a fun fact. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. But... Here's the thing. It's been 2,000 years since this problem arose. And while we're not worried about people becoming Jews first to become Christians, we do still have the same issue of asking ourselves, how good do they have to be to really be a Christian? And it's a fair question. Because Jesus does change our life. And in the church, grace and truth collide every day. But to be like Jesus... We have to fully embrace both. You cannot deny grace and only ascribe to truth and faithfully follow Jesus. And you cannot uh, deny grace. I may have gotten it backwards. You can't deny one or the other and fully follow Jesus. And I I know we want to make it to the place where we say, you know, it doesn't matter how you live. Just believe. But... Since when has believing changed anything? I can, I, can, I can prove it to you. I know how to lose weight. I don't need to join a Facebook group on how to lose weight. I know how to lose weight. It is an extremely simple equation. I am not good at math, but I know how to do subtraction that's calories in versus calories out, right? You have to move more and eat less. That's how you lose weight. I fully believe that that's true. I know it's true. Yet it has no bearing on my life because I don't act upon it. (laughs) Amen, brother. the Holy Ghost in this place today. Burn those calories, yeah. (laughs) Start doing some air squat. Hurt my knee a little bit. (laughs) You can't have grace without truth. You can't have truth without grace. If you go to, let's just go to Acts 15. Take Take your Bible. And I know some of you are using your phone, and I'd rather you use your phone than anything else, but Man, you need a you need a good like you know Bible that like when somebody gets on your nerves you can slap them with it, you know? And say, receive this grace and truth. And I, I'm gonna read a little bit through here. This is a this is such an interesting story. Uh, and and and, and I, I don't know about you. Um and I even talked about this some last week. I I am a I'm a natural-born skeptic. I am, I am a very cynical person, and I have to ask the Holy Spirit to help me. I, be, I believe cynicism is, is, uh, is, is the opposite of what God wants for me. I think having a critic, being critical is one thing. Being cynical is another. And so I, I, I never take anything at face value. I just, I just don't. I just don't trust, <laughs> I don't trust anything. Okay? I don't trust people. I mean, <clears throat> I need to stop talking about this. <laughs> the Lord is helping me in my ways. Okay? Anyway... And so when I read the Bible, it, I I I always think, okay, can I believe? Can I can I depend on this to be accurate and truthful and faithful and historically correct? And Acts 15 is one of the chapters in the Bible that I go, that helps me, because there is no way in heaven anybody made this up, okay? It is so out there, y'all. It is so like, if they wanted more people to become Christians, they would have, they would have not written this, okay? Luke would have been like, no, nah, no, nah, Theophilus, I'm leaving that out, but don't worry about Acts 15. We ain't, and Anyway, you know, that's another fun fact. This is what it says in Acts 15. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers. Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. (laughs) Okay, let's see, it is 1117. I'm going to move quick. Okay, listen, I don't like this stuff. Does everybody know what circumcision means? All right, I want you to take your phone out. And I want you to go to Google and put on safe search. Not Google images, just Google, Google. And I want you to look it up. And you figure it out for yourself, okay? And I mean, I'm asking, and it's hilarious, and it's so awkward, and God knows I don't want to be the one talking about this. <sighs> I, don't, I don't like saying any of these things from the platform. Now, in personal conversation, I will cut up with the best of them, but this is hard for me. So they begin to, my mouth's getting so dry now. They begin to teach that unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. AJ. <laughs> AJ teaches our life track class. Can you imagine? Okay, AJ, you're in your. Ne- When's your next life track? First of March. First of, First of April. April Fool's Day. First Sunday of April. Okay. April third. So, so next time in your life group class, as you're, you know, getting to the end of it, I want you to, you know, ask all the, the, the females to be like, females, if you just, you know, you can walk out now. And all the guys are still in there. And you go, okay, so there's one last thing everybody has to, uh, has to do. Some of you, it may have already happened, but for some of you, maybe not. And uh, if it did, cool, you can go. But, we're, you know, and then you ask, you know, you guys all circumcised. And, and, and then some, some, some dude's like, no, nah, no, I'm not. And you say, okay, well, um, you're going to take care of that. <laughs> and AJ's like, I'm not doing it, but. <laughs> Bro, that's too far. People have just made up their mind to not come back last week because of you. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, is this not a pretty high standard for church/slash heaven membership, right? I mean, you know, and, and to really understand circumcision—not medically, but biblically—you've <laughs> got to go back to Abraham. Now, I want you to—I just just hold on to this for a moment, okay? Like we read over this stuff, and we're like, oh, whatever, whatever. But like Abraham is a grown man; he's like an elderly man too. And God speaks to him, and he says that you must circumcise yourself. And, you know, his wife, Sarah, I was like, What, if, what did you do? <laughs> I, I, listen, if you don't read the Bible that way, <laughs> you're just not doing it right. You're just not doing it right. And, and, and Abraham, you know, God said, you, gotta, you have to circumcise yourself and your son, Isaac. And <laughs> poor Isaac. Like one of his most impressionable memories as a young kid. His dad comes to him. Anyway, I'm moving on. <laughs> but can we all agree that for, for church membership, as well as to be considered a Christian, to know that you've been saved by Jesus, to eternal life with him forever, that, that having to go through that is a, is a relatively, I mean, not maybe compared to living in eternity for hell, I understand, but, I mean, nonetheless, that's a pretty high standard for, like, joining the church, right? All the men said amen. amen. Verse 2, Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Praise God for Paul and Barnabas, right? Everybody's like, that's my boy. All those people that grew up in Rome were like, I love Paul, man. He's so amazing. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and the elders about the question. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles, too, were being converted. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belong to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. Just FYI, there are 613 laws of Moses. How long do you think it would take the Gentile believers who have? absolutely zero background in the Old Testament scriptures. I mean, up until this moment of salvation, they are polytheists. They, they go to temples to worship idol gods, right? They have no context for this. So they have now, according to the, the, this, fact of this uh, sect of the Pharisees, they have to learn these 613 laws and customs of Moses. They also have to be circumcised, and the chances are they were not because of where they came from and the way they lived their life. And, and, I mean, you have to ask yourself, like, how many of them would either just say, no, I'm good, I'm not doing this? Or how many of them would, would sincerely begin to try, but before they were able to learn the laws and, and to really give themselves to this way of living, they would die? Because, I mean, that's a lot to ask of a person. Amen. Verse 6, so the apostles and the elders, they met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, um, Peter stood up. So addressed him as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. And, and Peter, right, Peter's like pulling his like, I'm cool card. Like, because first of all, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. And Peter's always like, me first, bro. <laughs> um, I got out of the boat. I walked on water. I get to, I'm bragging on me. He said, But he says some good stuff here. Verse 8, God knows people's heart. And he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. See, several chapters ago, Peter had an experience where the Holy Spirit told him to go preached to a man named Cornelius who was a Roman officer. And Cornelius gets saved. And the Bible says that as Cornelius is, is receiving Christ, that he is baptized in the Holy Spirit immediately. And Peter is in shock, right? Peter really is because Peter thought that Jesus was just for the Jews. And then that moment, Peter realizes this is not about Abraham's descendants. This is about Adam's descendants. And it's this beautiful moment that Peter understands that the gospel is for everybody. And he says, God knows people's hearts. Now, do you have some time? I'm going to go, I'm not even going to tell you. Do you have time? You have time. You're not going anywhere. You don't have anything to do, right? Okay. So the reason why God spoke to uh, Abram and said, I want you to circumcise your flesh, is because there needed to be a mark on his body that said, I am different. I am not my own. I have been marked. Now, granted, it's a very specific mark and a little odd if you ask me that that was the mark. But that's not my business, right? I'm making light of it, but you know I'm, you know I'm right, okay? Um, so in Acts chapter 2, something happens that doesn't get talked about in churches enough. Acts chapter 2, God fulfills a prophecy that he made in the book of Jeremiah where he said, no longer will, be, will people be marked by their f- flesh that they belong to me. They will be marked on their hearts that they belong to me, and this is the prophecy. This is what it says in Jeremiah thirty-one. But this is the new covenant. Let me ask you a question: Who inaugurated the new covenant? Jesus, the covenant of grace, and, and not the covenant of law. But this is my. But this is the new covenant that I will make with people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write. Them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, what you may or may not know, I've preached on it before, but you may or not have been here, you may have forgot, maybe you know, is that on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that is a feast, right? That is a Jewish festival that Jewish people from all around the area and all around the world really would come and they would go to the temple and they would offer sacrifices to God and they would celebrate. But you have to ask yourself a question: what is the feast? What is the festival of Pentecost signifying? What is it about? Well, let me ask you another question: What happened 50-ish days? days after the Passover occurred and when the, when the people of e- Israel were let go out of Egypt and they partook of the Passover meal, right? What happened? Does anybody know? I'm so happy to hear all of your non-answers. Moses was on the mountain of God receiving the law written on tablets of stone. That is what Pentecost signifies. It, w- it took place seven weeks or 49 days, about 50 days, after Passover, Jesus died on Passover and was resurrected the third day. So, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out. People, so, so what happened? What happened on Mount Sinai? There was smoke, there was fire, there was loud thunders, there was wind. What happened in the upper room in Acts 2? The Bible says that, that tongues as of flames of fire and, 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 and a wind went through the whole house where they were, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak and, and, and other their tongues and utterances they didn't know and what was happening is God was saying no longer will my law be written on tablets of stone to be checked off like a to-do list to say I'm good enough to say that I measure up instead I will write my law on their hearts because I don't want them to have to measure up I want them to know me personally come on church that's worth getting excited about God doesn't want us checking things off a to-do list. That's not relationship. If if mine and my wife's relationship was based off of us doing the things off a checklist at each other. Now granted, I do give my wife lists sometimes. (laughs) She is frowning at the moment. But she's given me lists before too. Every so often. Oh, this is almost as uncomfortable as the circumcision part. <laughs> Should have thought this through if our brother's, uh. No, but if our relationship was based off of, okay, in order for, for me to know that you love me and for you to know that I love you, here's the list of things that has to happen every single day. But there was no intimacy of relationship, no no intimate conversation, no intimate moments, no no love, no 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 giving of myself, not because she asked me to do it, but because in my heart I love her and I just want to do it. That wouldn't, that, that's, if, if checking it off a list was what it meant to please God, that's not love. And God doesn't want robots. That's why he gave Adam and Eve a choice in the garden. It's because if there's no choice to not obey God, then there's no choice to actually love God. And God wants love. God wants to change your heart by filling you with his spirit. Verse 9, continue reading. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their heart through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? And if you've ever read through the Old Testament, it, it, it reads like this. God loves his people, people love God. God loves his people, people stop loving God. God loves his people. People completely turn their back on God. God loves his people, and, but then give, because of his love for them, gives them over to foreign lands because they continue to, to worship other gods and not love him. So, so what Peter is saying is that throughout the entire history of Israel, we've never been able to keep the law ourselves. So why in the world are we going to ask these people who have no history to be able to keep the law when we couldn't even do it ourselves? He says, we, we weren't able to satisfy the demands of the law. He says in verse 11, we believe that if we're all saved the same way, which is through Jesus, he says, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. And Galatians 2.21 says that if righteousness could be attained by the law, then Jesus died for no reason at all. Right? You go to skip to verse 19 of Acts 15. And he goes on and he says, so my judgment... Is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Now I have a question just for you to ponder. Not about our church, but about you. Have we ever made it, have you ever made it difficult for somebody to turn to God? I felt the Holy Spirit just like just knock me upside the heart with that question. He said, We shouldn't make it difficult for them turning to God. So instead of the 613 laws, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals and from consuming blood. Now, that's three laws, essentially three laws. One of them is about sex, which You might say, you know, why include that one when there's so many other ones? You know, he could have said, "Don't kill people" or whatever. I I don't know. I don't know. And the other two really are just to keep unity in the church. He says in verse 21, "For for these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on the Sabbath for many generations." And I thought it was funny that nothing in there was included about loving God. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But it goes back to the fact that anybody who called themselves a Christian must have really been a Christian, considering the fact that they professed faith in Christ automatically uh, made them available for intense persecution and possibly one day even execution. So they obviously loved God. They obviously wanted to please God. They just didn't really know how to please God. And so that's what they do. And so skipping to verse 30, this is amazing to me, uh, amazingly hilarious. The messengers went at once to Antioch, where they called a general meeting of the believers and delivered the letter. And there was great joy throughout the church that day as the men and other people, I'm sure too, read this encouraging message. And we're dismissed. No. Here's the deal. We like what we know, right? We do. We like what we know. The Jewish Christians were more comfortable being around people who looked like them and lived like them. And and, and whether you think this or not, you are the same way. To some capacity. Now maybe the Holy Spirit has helped you to be more comfortable with people. Who don't live like you and look like you and act like you. But in some capacity, in some way or another. We are all afraid of things that we don't know. Or things that we don't understand. Or things that we are unfamiliar with. And, and the problem that, that many Christians have. Is that instead of being an infiltration into the world. We clump together like a bunch of five-year-olds playing soccer at a recreational field. You know what I'm talking about? Just a huddled mass, and we live in our holy huddles, but we forget the fact that we were called to go in the world, even though we're not of the world, to be the light to the world, so that through our lives, that we would point the world to the Father who's changed our lives. (laughs) The church is one of the only organizations in the world, and I'm using the word organization loosely because it's so much more than that, that primarily exists for the benefit of non-members. Yet we oftentimes gear our churches solely around the people who are a part of our churches. And the reason why is because we either have never known because we grew up in this or we forget what it's like to not be part of this. Yet we have been called primarily not to make a difference in here. Now that happens. There's the There's edifying things that happen, but we have been called primarily to make a difference out there. And Lifehouse has to choose. But the only way Lifehouse makes its choice is if you make the choice. Because you are Lifehouse. Like, I can't just make the decree and say this is how it is. No, we have to live it, right? We have to do it. We have to choose to be the kind of church that people who don't go to church would want to come to. Which means that we may not look like every church that there ever been. It just means that we, we have to keep the, the perspective of a non-believer in mind. It doesn't mean that we ever compromise truth. But it does mean that we don't ever compromise grace either when we pray for boldness, remember that's what we were a few weeks ago. When we pray for boldness and we live bold lives and, and we speak bold truth and we, and we display bold grace, something will happen naturally. And the natural thing that will happen to something that is healthy is it will grow. And it will become bigger and better. Not perfect until Jesus returns and we all see him face to face. The church will not be perfect, but it can and will grow. the longer you follow Jesus, the more you forget what it's like to not follow Jesus. And we tend, oftentimes, to hold people to a higher standard than we really hold ourselves. Because we judge others by their actions, we judge ourselves by our intentions. We judge, I don't remember what did I say. <laughs> we judge others by their actions. We judge ourselves by our intentions. So we offer more great, you might, you might say, well, I'm hard on myself. You're not nearly as hard as you think you are on yourself. That's your cop-out to make you feel better about yourself. And I can talk to you like this because I live this, Okay. I'm not above this. Real life and real life change is messy. And a church that doesn't have some mess in it is a church I don't want to be part of. That's a church that's going nowhere real fast. That's a church that as, as people continue to pass away will one day be empty and closed and that property will be sold and that building will be demolished and they'll put a coals on it or something right that's a church that won't last we talked about this in our life group for those who are part of our life group on Wednesdays and if you're not part of a life group little plug here go ahead and get part of a life group we've already started but that's okay that's all right isn't that okay guys get part of a life group but God cares infinitely more about our why than he does our what you can do the right thing the wrong way with the wrong motive and you've still done the wrong thing and you can even i I believe the grace of god is so expansive you can do the wrong thing the right way and god is like "Ah, i'll let that go let me like so for instance uh aj earlier was talking about tithing and he was talking about giving listen um if you tithe to this church but you do so with reluctance, and you think, man, I hope they're using this money right, and which we are, because we have a board, and I'm accountable to people, and we're all accountable to one another. But if if you're like, I'm giving, but you know, man, God, I, I better get something back for this. I need that check in my mailbox. You said you reap what you what you sow, so I'm 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 I'm, I'm sowing God, and I, I better get a return. Let me just let me save you some trouble and some money. Just keep it. We don't. First of all, we don't want that garbage money. Like, for real, I, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Like, I don't want that. Our church doesn't need that. We want good seed in this ground, not that trash you got. <laughs> I don't want weeds growing up with the fruit, okay? But see, you might be doing the right thing, but you're doing it the wrong way. Now, listen, I know I'm preaching to the choir, and 99% of you, if not 100, you ain't doing that. Because if you had that kind of attitude, you wouldn't have been giving anyone. Anyway, but that's the idea of, of, like, you can do the right thing, but do it with the wrong heart. And, and God doesn't honor that. God doesn't bless that. God God is disgusted by that. Because God wants to change you, not from the outside in, right? But from the inside out. And the Jews wanted to change these new converts, literally, the outside in and peter and paul were like no that's not how that works we we our nation's been trying for 1600 years or our people rather have been trying for however many years to change from the outside in and it hasn't worked why are we gonna why do we think it would work now so here's the solution worship team don whoever ben if you want to come on julie get a mic John 1.14. They already have, Julie. I've been watching that door. People, Carlos isn't stopping them. <laughs> Put your chair in front of the door. John 1.14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory. The glory the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have to be people who are full of grace, which is kindness and favor towards someone. That we not just on a Sunday morning, but on a Wednesday afternoon or Tuesday evening, that we are people so filled with the love and the grace of the Father that it literally just comes out of us. But how hard is it to give of something that you haven't received? Many of you today, you need to have grace for yourselves. You've been looking in the mirror and beating yourself up. You've been thinking, man, i just... I'm just awful I keep doing this thing or I keep falling in this trap I can't lo- let go of this grudge and you, and you beat yourself up over stuff maybe there's some secret addiction that you're hiding hoping nobody finds out about and you think man God doesn't love me God's mad at me God's upset with me can I tell you today God's grace is, is greater God's grace is bigger God's grace is able we got to be people who are full of grace but we also have to be people who are full, full of truth like the word of so Ephesians two ten says that we are that we are God's masterpiece. We are the work of His hands, and and that we have been saved to do the works, the good works that He planned for us long ago. And so, so I, I want to tell you this: good works do not get you to God. They don't make you saved. They don't. They don't. That, when you do good things, God's God's not like man. I love Santana so much more now because she's doing good things. No more than when you do bad things is God like man. I don't love Jeff anymore. He's a punk. I don't like him. Sorry, Jeff, you're just over here. I wasn't going to do that to Wendy, though. I love her too much. (laughs) You can't make God love you less. You can't make God love you more. But but make no mistake about it. Faith without works is dead. Now, a lot of us like to take that verse and we like to make it about our prayer life. And if you want to do that, that's fine. I think it still applies. But what James is really telling us when he says that is... You can claim to have faith in Jesus all day long, but if I don't see it in the way you live your life, then I don't believe what you're saying. So God says you can't be saved by good works in Ephesians 2.10, but you are saved for good works because it's by your good works. Hold on to it. You can do it just a second. We're going to do it loud, though. And You better all join in, okay? Don't make crystal do it by yourself. I kind of forgot what I was saying, though. We're not saved by our good works. We're saved for good works. And Jesus said, it's by your good works that people will see your life and give glory to my Father in heaven. Go ahead, Crystal. So we are to be full of both grace and truth. Because truth without grace is just mean. Truth of that, Grace, is just me. I don't think there's anything more in the in the last two thousand years that has driven more people away from an encounter with Jesus than than legalism. I think the church. Let me say it like this: It is possible that throughout the history of the church, the church has been responsible for more people denying Christ than accepting Christ. I mean, I don't, I'm not pulling from any, I'm just saying, there's a possibility there. I've been to some of those churches. I've preached in some of those churches. Truth without grace is mean, but listen to me. Grace without truth is meaningless. You can't have one without the other. And today, you know, there's a lot of talk about, and I'm not jumping into this right now, there's a lot of talk about progressive Christianity and, you know, trying to, Soften the gospel or soften the Bible To make it more appealing to people And the only thing progressive Christianity is doing For people is progressing them closer and closer to hell Because if you're trying to preach a truthless gospel It's not its not good news anymore It's just a bunch of fake nothing I want to pray and I want to ask, if you would, if everyone would just take a moment, out of respect for others, bow your head and close your eyes. First and foremost, if you're far from Jesus today, either because you've never received him as your Lord and your Savior, or maybe because you have, and, and, and just time has passed, and what may have been a relationship at one point has degraded into a, a rule book of of do's and don'ts. And that is not what God wants for you. God wants you to know him. So today, if you're far from the Father, without anybody looking around, you would say, Pastor, would you pray for me that I would give my life Jesus that he would write his law not on tablets of stone not do's and don'ts but that he would write it on my heart that I would experience his love, his grace, his truth in a new way and that I would be changed not from the outside in but from the inside out if that's your prayer this morning would you lift your hand high in the air is there anybody in the room, anybody at all I see you brother, I see you friend back there, I see you three three men right now. Is there anybody else? Oh, thank you. I see you, buddy. I see you. Mm. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Gentlemen, you need to understand that you don't have to be good enough because Jesus has already done that. What he wants from you is not your effort, but your surrender. Not your willpower, but your humility. Not your abilities, but your availability. That's what He wants from you. Life House, let's pray this together. Four, Four gentlemen have raised their hand. But let's pray this together all across the room. And if you're joining us online and you're praying this prayer with us today and you mean it, and it's for you, let us know. Send us a message, whatever you need to do. Reach out to us so that we can follow up with you. Let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. I confess my sin to you. And I repent. I turn away from it. And I turn to you. Help me to love you, to be changed by you, and to be fully surrendered to you. Not just today, but every day, for the rest of my life. In your name, amen. Lifehouse, can we celebrate? raised your hand or if you didn't and you needed to and you would like to talk to me I'll be available after service you can email me at drew at lifehouse.info I just want to serve you and and point you in any direction that you need to go but I don't want us to leave yet keep playing sounded like you were kind of done I heard the ding. Never sounded more like Jason Crabb in his life, and he still can't get his thing through the fire. I I didn't plan to do what I'm about to do until this morning, but I, I felt I felt like we needed to take this time today. If you're if you are struggling with some sort of sin in your life, and I know the first thing you might think about is um, I don't really want anybody to know about this. And, and can I just tell you that? If there is anybody in this room that wants to cast judgment to, on somebody who is struggling with sin, then you need to be the first one in this altar. Because we need to pray that spirit of judgment out of you. But today, maybe... The, the, the one thing that kept popping up into my mind is, and, and this make no mistake, this is very much a sin... Was holding on to unforgiveness, resentment, or bitterness towards somebody. And and the thing, you know, the thing about that is that you can think you've conquered that, and then something happened or something get posted on Facebook, or a, a phone call, or maybe just an old memory, and all of a sudden you realize you're not as over that as you thought you were. Maybe today. You know, there's you know, there, there's some sort of a secret sin. Maybe you struggle with pornography. Maybe you struggle with lust. Maybe maybe there's something illicit happening in your home. Maybe it's substance abuse of some capacity. I don't know, and quite honestly, I don't need to know. You can tell me if you want to, but it's I don't I don't need to know. It, it might be that you like to gossip. I mean, it could be anything. But there's something in your life that you have struggled to let go of, and I believe the Lord wants to help you today. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to help you. And He's not going to be able to help you by you trying harder. He's going to be able to help you by you giving Him the ability in your life, by surrender. So would you stand with me? We're just going to take a moment. Monica's going to lead us in the song. But today, if there's any sin in your life, that you have struggled to let go of and to move past. There is no shame. There is no condemnation. There is nothing but grace and truth. And and, and also, understand that grace doesn't exist just to forgive you from sin. Grace exists to empower you to overcome that sin. So, Father, I pray that if there be anybody in this room right now that's in a struggle that they would like to move beyond, that you would give them the courage to step out from where they are to come to this altar and to receive prayer this morning. We believe on you, we trust in you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. As Monica leads us, if today you would like prayer, and I'll just say this too, if you just want prayer for anything else, If there's something else, but you would say, he didn't say the thing I want prayer for, but listen, I want to pray for you regardless. So as Monica ministers, if that was for you in any capacity, would you come to this altar so we can pray with you and for you? can have board members and lead team members who would be willing to pray for others just to gather around behind these men and women just I, um, I'm. I'm going to ask Jeff when he is able to. I want him to pray a prayer dismissal over us. But I, I just want to say, before I'm done. That, and I said, I believe I said it earlier, kind of in passing. But I want to, I want to make sure that you hear this clearly. Guilt, is never, from God. The purpose of guilt, in your life. It's for the enemy to convince you that you are not and never will be worthy of his love. But that is not true. Conviction is from the Lord. And what conviction does is it draws us to the love of God. Guilt, if we succumb to it, will push us away. So I want to pray, and then I'm, I'm going to ask Jeff to also pray a prayer. Just for I want to pray right now that the Holy Spirit, and I have a mint in my mouth, so forgive me, would defeat guilt and shame in our lives. Guilt, they say, is, is, is feeling ashamed of something you've done, where shame is being ashamed of who you are. And I've walked, and I continue to struggle at times down both of those roads. And I can tell you, it's not the Lord. That's not what your Father wants for you. So, Father, I pray for you people today. We speak against guilt, God. We we, we, we know that in conviction, Lord, you were displaying your love for us. But in guilt, God, we recognize that that is not from you, that that is far from your, your plan for our lives. And so, God, we speak against that. I pray, Lord, that you would overwhelm any guilt in our lives god and that you would replace it father with grace and the goodness of god the love of the father and the peace and joy that only comes from the holy spirit and lord where there is shame in this room and no doubt god there is shame in this room that you would remind that person to the depths of their soul god that they were created in your likeness and in your image They are loved by you. Their past does not define them. Rather, your word over them is what defines who they are. And God, you look at them and you call them a child. You look at them and you call them beloved. You look at them and you call them a world changer. And so, God, we speak that word. We speak against guilt. We speak against shame. God, we speak for grace, truth, conviction, and kindness of the Holy Spirit that draws us to you. And we pray it, Lord, in Jesus'
1: name. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be good soil for this seed that you have spoken. And God, I'm here at this altar here too. God, we thank you for grace and truth that can permeate our hearts and our lives. It's something that we can rely upon, something that we can stand on to go about our lives this week. God, I pray that the conviction of the Holy Spirit that is here now will continue with us as we go out this week, God. We thank you, Lord, that we no longer have to mutilate ourselves, Lord God, but through the power of your Holy Spirit, you uncover the hidden things so that we can experience grace and truth in our lives, so that we can live life abundantly. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. speak freedom in Jesus' name from every chain that binds us. We have been called the sons and daughters of God. That is who we are. That is who we are. Church, walk in the fullness of Christ this week. May the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you, and may his face shine upon you, be gracious towards you, and give you peace that surpasses all understanding. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Go with God.